It's Friday, July 6, 2018, and you're listening to episode 489 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 56 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. And my name's Chad. All right, so we're going to talk Fear the Count 11, but if you're like... By the way, Fear the Count 11, you should go to it. Yeah, you should totally... <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be this great con. I can. We can say that with authority now, because it can, happened, yeah. and it was an outstanding convention. But if you're like, wow, I didn't go to Fear the Con, I don't want to hear a bunch of con stories and rah-rah, bear with us, because what we have decided to do with this episode is no story will be told about the con unless that story is also accompanied by some piece of gaming advice or analysis. So consider this something like a small topic roundup where we're just using Fear the Con as a point of reference. Now, And we will have a lot of rah-rah bullshit. Yeah, it, yeah, that is still going to be there because, look, I'm going to say it right here now. It was a great convention. And to all the people that thanked me for putting it on, I am humbled. But I also want to take this opportunity to tell everyone we didn't put Fear the Con 11 on. Right. Fear the Con 11 was a fan-driven effort. Fear the Con 12 will be back with us. I'm going to be taking it back on again. But Fear the Con 11 was run by a group of listeners, supporters, whatever you want to call them. Wonderful, beautiful, handsome, (laughs) intelligent People. In fact, I have a list here of people that I want to specifically thank mm. who put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to make Ew. the... Yeah, it's very disgusting. It's like that one Metallica cover. <laughs> but they put a lot in... It's not tears. I know. Assuming <laughs> the stories are true, it's much worse. I still think it's urban legend, but assuming it's true, it's really disgusting. If you want to know what we're talking about, look up... I think you can find on Wikipedia. Look up the Metallica album Load. And read how supposedly that cover was made. Fair warning, it's really disgusting. All right, anyway, these are people that put a lot into making this convention happen. And I want to recognize the hard work that they did and sincerely thank them both on behalf of myself, on behalf of Fear the Boot as an organization, and on behalf of the community for the outstanding work that you guys did. So here we go. First off is Derek and his husband, Daniel. Both you guys, great work. Derek, I saw you stressed out. Been there. Going to be there again next year. (laughs) Know how that feels. Take it easy. Well-deserved. Adam Gottfried, right up there with them, put in a lot of hard work. I want to thank Miss Beth Roper, a friend of Derek and Daniel's, Dwayne. He helped out at the front desk. Uh, Zach Lorton, he put on some great stuff for us, helped out some stuff. Julia, particularly for her help with the food and drinks. Sergeant Dan. Just for yelling. Just for yelling a lot. Just for, yeah. (laughs) It it comes with the territory. Uh, Ruben for the graphic design and the work that he put in. Then also Aisha for doing some work up at the front desk because she didn't play in a whole lot of slots. She just hit people. She just hit people, corralled people, and did a lot of good work up front. All right. So then some kind of off-topic thanks here. Mm -hmm. I want to recognize Mikey Mason for putting on what may have been his best show yet. It was a ton of fun. So at the social mixer, I don't know if we can call it a wing night because we didn't have the wings, but the social mixer before the con, he put on a hell of a show. And And it's for sale. And it's for sale. If you want to hear it, there's a copy of it that's going to be up on his Bandcamp site. 
I will link that in the show yep. notes. So if you want to see the Fear of the Con 11 performance by Mikey Mason. You're too late because you can't watch it, but you can listen to it. That's right. <laughs> I want to call something out on that one. If anyone's thinking about getting it, there is an epic rendition of Free Bird that occurred in that performance that I was speechless at the time because I couldn't stop laughing. A rendition of Free Bird all said with meows, barks, and bird whistles. And bird whistles. Mm-hmm. That... It just like I laughed for not only through the whole song, but at least for a few minutes afterwards. My last two here that I want to thank. These are a little bit random. I want to thank St. Charles Nissan, which I know it's going to sound so bizarre. But the reason I want to thank them is because Sergeant Dan drove here from North Carolina. St. Louis is in the middle of an unseasonable heat wave and North Carolina ain't doing any better. So he had a long drive both directions, and his air conditioner went out in his car. Ooh. And it was the compressor. It was going to be like a fourteen or $1,500 repair. But Eric at St. Charles Nissan uh, basically took care of it for him, gave him a good discount, and gave him a free car to use all week long. Wow. No cost. So nice. I can't believe we're doing this, but thank <laughs> you, St. Charles Nissan. This is never the sort of plug i thought we'd have on the show but chick-fil-a sponsored fear the con too chick-fil-a sponsored fear the con yeah speaking of corporate overlords (laughs) (laughs) but the last person i want to recognize is someone who went above and beyond i she was not a vendor at the con Mm -hmm. i will link to her site so if you want to see the stuff she does she does a lot of handicraft work does some dice bag stuff does figure painting is great at this stuff heather phillips and once again i'll link her etsy store or something and the, Her family invented the Phillips head screwdriver. They did. Mm-hmm. They also invented the Heath, which is why <laughs> she has the name Heather. Yes. A while back, I bought a Battletech mini off of her, and she was a little late in delivering it. And so as a result, she went above and beyond and put this thing in its own diorama. And mm. I'm going to put a picture of this in with the show notes. But I want you guys to do a live take on this thing because oh wow wow pretty neat yeah so to explain what these guys are looking at if you play BattleTech, there is a a clan mech from one of the few clan characters i like which is what i bought off of her and she put it on a magnet inside so you can pull it out and play so you can use it in a map game of BattleTech. but it's on a magnet in there and she posed it in sculpted scenery of like a red rock dry lands sort of area it's even a ship down too yeah and what she did without knowing it is this actually looks like the home world of the pilot but she didn't know that when she did it, it was pure serendipity as a, a mech foot and back yeah it's really wow. really awesome and you can pull the mech out and still use it in battle tech and then put it back in its scenery it is freaking this is one of the coolest things i've seen in a long time but anyway so that makes me want to order mechs from her Worked out for me, but I will put a link to her stuff in the show notes. So if you guys want to go check out what she does, please do. And once again, a huge thank you to everyone that helped put the con on, that ran games, that played in games, that just showed up and acted like an I awesome person. did all three person. of those things. <laughs> I ran games, I played games, and I just showed up. <laughs> You're welcome, Dan. Thank you, Chad. <laughs> I, above here. all else, I want to thank Chad. <laughs> That's right. I want to inflate his massive ego. <laughs> oh, my God. There's there's so much more room to <laughs> so inflate. Much to so I much to pet. I want to thank Brodo for putting a dice in his mouth that was rubbed yeah. against my crotch. So, Brodo, all right, here's your first bit of gaming advice. We found a way to break Wayne's curse. 
So any die that Wayne touches becomes horrible. It rolls poorly for everyone. Which we took advantage of in one of Brodor's yes. games. He was rolling really well, so I started touching the dice and so, I started rolling poorly. Yeah, so he wouldn't stop rolling fives and sixes on this D6. We couldn't succeed at anything because his enemies were just making their saves on everything they did. So I passed the die to Wayne, and Wayne touched it to his forehead, rubbed it on his belly, rubbed it on his balls, <laughs> and then handed it back to Brodor, who may have been a little bit inebriated. <laughs> and let me... this die is, I don't know how he was standing, to be honest with you. This die's been around for a while, so it actually has some, like, dark spots on it i'm i don't know if it's food or if it's scorch marks because we used to like play with candles or, sitting around or, or syphilis from wayne's yeah, balls yeah or wayne's syphilis hey. balls. <laughs> my balls are very healthy and magnificent but Thank you brodor word for that put this dye in his mouth along with a shot of bourbon so you do the bourbon first or the or the no. dye? The dye went the in dye first. Because I could at least say, okay, you do the bourbon first and you plunk the dye in there. At least there's you know, it's, it's got yeah. disinfect. I mean, I'm he even dropped the dye on the floor at one point and popped put it, it back, back into his mouth. his mouth before the bourbon. But he put it in there with a shot of bourbon. Sw- I need to stop kissing that boy. Swishes it around like it's a golf ball cleaner. <laughs> and sp- I need to start kissing that guy. And then spits it out <laughs> to roll it and then went back to rolling well. So, Brodor has apparently found the way you break a die curse. So, are you telling me that next con, there's going to be a line of people trying to shove stuff in Brodor's mouth? That's split completely between them and Brodor. But- so, Chad, you mentioned him being about ready to to fall over drunk. Mm-hmm. At one of the breaks, I don't know if Dan even knows this, because I think that you were over giving your uh, soliloquy as uh, Mink. Yeah, Mink did make a few appearances. So, Brodor gets a call from memory, and his talk to Oh no, I haven't drank that much. I'm totally sober. <laughs> Excellent. And you see, it's like, you know, everyone at the table's drunk except for Wayne. <laughs> but yeah, he has this whole conversation with her. He's like, "No, I've barely drank every anything." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and by the way, when he spit it out, not only did it go back to rolling well, but that spot on it was gone. He had actually polished the die. Nice. I need to say, I don't have it anymore. This is Brodor's for life. But if you need a cursed die broken. Brodor apparently possesses that medicine. So do with that information what you or will. Or toss salad. I mean, yeah. either way. Um, okay. So let's start talking about some of the stuff we saw at the con. Once again, everything. I did not see any of this crap with the die. So I can safely say <laughs> I was spared that. Yeah, the Department of Health has advised us to say don't do that. That's bad <laughs> <Yeah>. advice. <laughs> I saw and videoed it. So it may <laughs> have been effective. It may have been real die magic, but no, don't do it. I rolled well, but that's because I just kept training my dice, which <laughs> is the, that's the safer magic. Yeah. And I kept weighing away from them. I actually rolled pretty well that night because I was rolling like 20 dice at a time. Something's got to be successful in that. Yeah, that's true. The character you played was the Shadowrun bucket o dice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about these games. You know, we're already talking about Brodor's. Let's begin there. He ran several. I was only able to play in one of them, which is Brodor's Scooby-Doo meets the Army of Darkness. So you played a post-apocalyptic version of the Scooby-Doo gang, which if you've not seen, it's kind of a trope in art right now of them post-apocalyptic with chainsaws and shotguns. And there's a comic book of it out there. It's not very good. 
<laughs> but it's out there. Yeah, so, Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo's not very good. So he, he threw. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> he threw them in with Ash from the Evil Dead, mm. and then he had us fighting the Evil Dead on a board for the board game Zombicide. Yep. First thing I have to say about it is the miniatures were incredible. I thought the paint job was really amazing. That adds something to the game for me when you have a special con game and your miniatures actually look impressive. Well, in Brodor, he was also very freeform with it. And this was one of the things that we got past pretty quickly, and I'm glad. But one of the things that I think could have gone wrong with that game, because this is what happens, I, I think, anytime you start putting down minis and such, people start feeling like their options are closing down. When we're in a moment of role play, you know your role playing things are pretty open. You've got a lot of freedom to do different things. But with this game, though we were given stats and we we knew the characters, I mean, we every one of us had seen Army of Darkness and seen Scooby-Doo at some point. When we were handed these characters, as soon as Broder started setting them around a board game. So we have the board game Zombicide, which is a zombie survival game, and it has movable tiles something akin to like hero quest or descent. Mm. So it's along those lines. And at first that felt kind of limiting because you start looking at that map and thinking, well, here's what I can do. I can move this many squares. I can attack with this many dice. You start thinking real tactically. I can roll the dice and move the mice. And that's what the game is. Broder was very clear as he set it out that what you see is what you get. So if, the mini has something on it that is in game and you can use it. If the board has something painted on it, that is something you can use, but it's hard to get in that mindset. And so right in the beginning, it was a case of we were playing a board game and what changed it for me was Dan was playing Shaggy and he looked at the Scooby miniature and the Scooby miniature had like police armor on. Yeah, like police canine armor. Yes, police canine armor. And it had a handle on it. Which is normal, by the way. Yep. If you've never seen police canine armor, there's usually on the back of their protective vest, there is a handle that's used either to pick them up or sometimes to put them on a line. Like if you're trying to send them up or down, like when they were doing rescue work for 9-11, they would send dogs up and down these lines attached by their harness to get them in and out of the wreckage they couldn't cross. So Dan has his character, which is Shaggy, is running by Scooby, says, there's a handle on there. I pick him up and I carry him with me. Yeah. At that point, we had been doing the rules say we move this many spaces. That was the first moment where somebody did something that is creative and outside. Mm -hmm. After that, everything was on the table. We started cutting through doors. We started cutting through bushes, looking at interesting things on the map. My character ended up with chainmail bikini armor because <laughs> there happened to be an interesting room. And I'm like, okay. There's cool stuff in that room. I go see what's in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the things you've got to do... Were you Fred? I was Daphne. If you are using the a game... Barbarian. <laughs> she was actually really powerful. But one of the things I would recommend is if you are running a game that is very heavily reliant on minis, by your choice or the game's requirement, whichever the case is, and you want there to still be role-playing when you go down to the map, when you go down to the minis... I think that's something you have to allow at least a little bit is ease off on the rules and let the players be creative. If they see something in the terrain 
are on the fig and they want to jump off with it and it's not going to wreck your game, let them have back that sense of creativity. If they want to declare they're going to do something that's a little off the wall, let them do it. Encourage them to do it. Heck, lead the way by having one of the NPCs do it first. Say, you know, the NPC runs up to the wall and, well, I can see there's a weak point here in my way too expensive Dwarven Forge cave set. So he knocks through that point in the wall or something. I, I get a yeah. Dremel out and actually... <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, if anybody, it's all about being accurate, right? If anybody has Dwarven Forge, that's what they want to see. Yeah. Is they want to see you whip out a Dremel or and an exacto knife. And and paint. Yeah, yeah precisely. Yeah. Just your paint, like Sears Weather right, Beater. Right, and, and, just, an, and, a, and a paint sprayer. Yes. Too, like for your house. That's yeah. exactly what they want to yeah. say. Because that's creativity. So besides NPCs, I was about to offer the advice of make the suggestion to a player. If you want them to do... Because like, if you wouldn't have been in the game, Dan, I don't know that anyone else would have thought to have done something like that. It was you were the catalyst for everyone else to start thinking about it. So for the person running the game, make a suggestion of that. It's like, you see those bushes on there. You have a chainsaw. Yeah. You can cut through the bushes. I had the advantage of knowing Brodor. And what I mean by that is, therefore, I knew what he was encouraging, what he would let us get away with. If he had been a complete stranger, I don't know that I would have felt as bold about doing that. Or if he did not have a history of doing this in his games, of allowing us to go that far off the ranch, I don't know that I would have attempted to do that. Chad, that was a game Wayne and I were in. What's one you ran or played in that you've got to take away from? Well, do you want to hear... The funny ones or the serious one? Both. All right. Let's well, start with funny. Let's start with okay. funny. Yeah. I ran a very funny game and I was in an extremely funny game. I ran a lasers and feelings game that was straight up lasers and feelings as it was supposed to be, you know, Star Trek with the serial numbers filed off. And then I was in Rubens, uh, one of the gentlemen we thanked earlier. I was in his inspector's game. His game was so funny. My face hurt i was laughing so much it was freaking hilarious in both inspectors and lasers and feelings is all about the sort of you tell me the players control the narrative more than they think they do and they they really have a hand on the stick as it were like for instance we got a job in in uh inspectors there was a vampire bar and we we went to it and all the wine was turning to water and so when we get to the bar i'm like I make my roll, something, whatever. And I'm like, look, there's a guy who's doing it. It's reverse Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and we just really took that from there. And it was hilarious. In the game that I ran in Lasers and Feelings, I didn't define really anything that I remembered. I, I basically said, yeah, it, it's totally not Star Trek. You know, we don't have warp. We have zwarp. And we, you know, <laughs> phasers with an F instead of a P and that sort of thing. The... I, di I didn't really do anything special, I don't think. I, I didn't really do anything really super creative or weird. When I sat down, I explained the game to the people who were playing, who hadn't played before, which I don't think anyone had played before, and I said, I will not tell you no. It's not even going to be a yes but, might be a yes but, but I will not tell you no in this game at all. And the players defined through their actions and what they did and what they defined how off the wall the game went there were a couple of players who said or did something and the other players are like well maybe scale that back a little bit just to get it back into the genre so to speak 
And it was good. It was really good. I know your rule is to give advice for each of the things, so it's just not gaming stories. I'm not sure what advice I can give here, except... I think there is. There's, And here's what I'm going to give. Some of the best moments in gaming can't be structured and can't be planned. And that is part of the risk and reward of GMing, especially at a convention where I can't give the advice to know your players, because there's a very good chance you may not know a single person at the table. And you may have to step out there a little bit and lead or give people some examples or find that one person at the table or two, or maybe you got lucky against the whole table who is fairly boisterous, nudge them, encourage them, get them to set the lead, to set the tempo about what's acceptable and what's going to work, which is obviously almost anything in these cases. But you have to accept that there also is a risk that in doing that, it may not work. Mm -hmm. That you hand them the reins and they may choose to just sit there and stare at the horse's ass for the next (laughs) four hours. Right. And I don't think it hurts to have a few plot ideas or a few jokes in your pocket or on a piece of paper ready to go in case that happens. But I had, but if you had done that, what occurred couldn't have occurred. And if Ruben had come in with a by the bullets plot, Mm -hmm. what happened? Well, the Mink Washington interlude still would have happened, (laughs) but that could, the game that you played Mm -hmm. could not have happened. And he took a certain amount of risk by doing that. Yeah. And by saying, I'm not going to have anything prepared, or I don't know how much, maybe it's some prepared. And you took that same risk in lasers and feelings. If you could have just gotten a bunch of dead eyed mm-hmm. lumps on well, logs, I could have gotten people who were expecting the Dwarven Forge models sitting out in the yeah. very defined structured story. And for, they want to be heroes and they are inserting themselves. You know, it's a, round peg in a round hole and this is how it works sort of thing which is not what those games are i'm not a hundred percent sure what i would have done if that was the case i think i would have just kept throwing things at them i think i would have thrown challenges at them okay this happens now what do you do okay you do that now this happens now what do you do until they can get some momentum going and then there can be a back and forth instead of me just you know giving the energy of not the plot, but the energy of the game. Yeah. Cause I think that the, the sort of dead eyed, quiet, I just want to be spoon fed type people. A, they're probably not going to sign up for a game like this. I'm pretty honest in my descriptions. Actually, I was not honest in this one though. In the, in she my just lazy, gave a bunch of names. I did. I, I took the MST3K space mutiny, you know, slab squat thrust, you know, Jim McBeefcake name list, which is like 40 some odd of those crazy names. I pulled it off of the MST3K Wikia, and I pasted it into my game description, and that was my game description. <laughs> wow. And it was full game, too. <laughs> oh, wait. I do have one piece of advice, but this goes for any con game anyone can run. Feed your players. Every literally. Game, and not literally. feed them the plot. No. Feed, feed them, them food. food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Food is hard to come by. Good food is hard to come by at a con. I mean... I was sitting down at a game, and a guy sat down next to me with a literal bowl of hot dogs. <laughs> like buns yeah. and condiments and everything, yep. and it was a bowl full of hot dogs. Yep. Because keep in mind, this was at the Drury. The Drury had a kitchen where they were providing yeah, buffet-style right. dinner for the people that had rooms. We didn't have rooms, so yeah. we didn't have that option. And the food that they were but. providing, well, good. I mean, it was... Hot dogs, chili. Yeah, which, yeah. I mean... Yeah. This was not health food. Yeah, so I had... 
a can of mixed nuts, which you guys annihilated. I had a big flat of strawberries, and I had a big thing of grapes. Yeah. And if you notice, that is some proteins and some carbs and some dietary fiber type stuff. It wasn't candy. It wasn't that sort of thing. It is food to get people energy and kind of get them going. So actually, I have a piece of advice based on that because mm-hmm. I didn't think about it. This was the second day, middle slot. Maybe it was the last slot. Someone came down and was like, hey, we've got an Uber Eats up here for, uh, and they gave up names. I went out for food between mm-hmm. the slots and had to rush back to be in in time. There was a lot of rain, which means bad traffic for, right. in Missouri because people can't drive. But there are a lot of options like that out there. Yeah, Uber, now there are. Yeah, yeah, now there are like Uber Eats, things like that. If I would have thought about it, I could have put in my order and had it delivered right when the slots were ending. Right. So I didn't have to run out for food each time. Yeah. So, and it wouldn't have to be a pizza. Right. You know, or because really that's one of the, the problems that I have at a con like this is you don't have a huge amount of time to eat, but that's okay. You have, you have enough. But your food options are limited. Yep, because and, you have to get food that you can get fast enough to get yeah. back. And the first day I had, I made myself breakfast at home because, thank God, I live 20 minutes away from the con site. Lunch and dinner were fast food. And the second day, yeah. I'm like, nope, I'm not going to do that. And one time I went home for a meal, and then the other time I went to a nicer restaurant. You went home on Friday because we had lunch at Houlihan's gotcha. on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my piece of advice is there's apps for that now. Mm-hmm. You can order your food and get a real meal instead of yeah. having to do fast food. Yeah, but burgers and fries, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two to three days straight will wear on you. Yeah, Those later, because you're not getting enough sleep, you might be drinking a lot, you might be you know very socially engaged, and and really that's why I bring food and that's why I bring the types of food I do is because I know people are having junk food. It's a lot of grease, a lot of salt, and they're not getting enough sleep and they're really dehydrated. So I have grapes and strawberries and peanuts and, so and I didn't bring anything for anyone else, but I had in my bag I had peanuts, cashews, mm-hmm. and I made a point to have like those types of snack foods ready for myself. Because the worst kind of player a game master can have at a convention is a low energy player. It doesn't matter if they're bad at role-playing. doesn't matter if they're the greatest improver on the face of the planet. Low energy kills a game, and if the whole table is low energy, it's a crappy game. You know, something else I think food does as well is it's just built into our nature that we are social with food. I mean, trace this back to whatever you want. Maybe it's because you make the kill or farm the fields and then come back to the town to eat at night. I mean, whatever it is. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. But... We socialize around food. If you want to catch up with somebody you haven't talked to in a while, what is the generic thing you do? Let's go out somewhere to eat. Let's go grab a beer. You go out somewhere to consume something, or you invite them over to your place for a dinner or something like that. And so it does seem like, at least on a subconscious level, the presence of food does encourage a certain amount of social atmosphere. Absolutely. Now, I'm not saying that's going to carry a game. No, 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 no. I don't think you can basically bring blank paper and a bowl of strawberries, and that alone is going to struck. Well, (laughs) I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying, nah, I wouldn't take that as a one-size-fits-all future for your gaming. I I agree. People like doing stuff with their hands, and games have ups and downs, and when you're in the spotlight, not in the spotlight and stuff. And again, you're hungry, you're tired, and it it I think it really, really helps. Now, I think that you can 
do food wrong, too. I think that if you put a whole big bowl of greasy potato chips and, you know, I'm kind of trying to be healthy. I like potato chips and stuff. It's just that they're greasy and heavy and salty and you don't want food that weighs you down. You want food to give people energy. Well, and I had the same thought on one of the days. One of my favorite fried chicken places in all of St. Louis Mm. is not far from there. It's uh, Porter's. Right. Yeah. And I had the thought of, I'm close. I could do that. Then I had the thought of, Food and then I'm, coma. Yeah, then I'm going to be tired and I'm going to have grease all over my hand because yep. there's nothing worse for grease on hands than fried chicken. And I'm going to mm. have character sheets. Yep. Attaching. I vetoed myself on that mm-hmm. one because the type of food really does have an impact. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm going to give one, then Wayne, I'm going to punt yep. it to you because you're okay. next up. So I played in a game run by Kathleen Mercury for Nebrodors. Who who invented Freddie Mercury? Yeah, who invent? No, she actually invented the planet Mercury. Oh, okay. And Lean Twos. That's where she gets her first name from. <laughs> and she was running a Hogwarts game, a, a Harry Potter game set in Hogwarts. And the characters in the game were all young witches. Okay, so little spell the ca- W. Yes, my <laughs> witches, witches. Well, some of them were without a W, but mine was probably one of them. Point is that these were all supposed to be like 13 year old girls. All right. Now, what the table consisted of was Kathleen, who was running the game. She did an outstanding job on this game, by the way. And one of the reasons I signed up for it is because my brother in law, Adam, wants to run a Harry Potter game for my nephews. But he was struggling to figure out, like, how would he do it system-wise? And Kathleen did a hack of, I think it's the Lady Bird, Lady Hawk Lady oh, yeah, system. And she added some Harry Potter stuff to it and put together this wonderful packet. And it's, it worked wonderfully. All right. But the game consisted of, now I'm talking at the player level, not the character level. Outside of Kathleen, you had five or six men between the ages of about 35 and 45, who were all quite boisterous, quite active. Mm -hmm. There were no wallflowers amongst us. And one 10-year-old girl, Mm -hmm. who, needless to say, when she came into this game, was a little bit out of her depth. Now, she's got sass. She's got spunk. Uh, She was in the Lasers and Feelings game. And she sassed me endlessly. We had to call the burn ward for Dan. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) She was... Awesome, yeah, I'm, by the way. If there is ever a Skies of Glass TV show or movie based on our current campaign, all I got to say is Eric Ostley's daughter may now have some competition <laughs> for the role of Emily. Because mm. this girl, she, she could bring it, right? But yeah. still, everyone's got a point where it's they're out of their depth. Sure. All right. Was this one of Terry's kids? Yes. Yes. Okay. It was one of Terry's kids. I know exactly who it is then. And I noticed that she was getting a little clammed up. And so what I did was I started coming up with shenanigans we could get into because the way my character was written, she was a street urchin and something of a, of a pickpocket worked for or worked with her father who was a street magician and a little bit of a hustler. I mean, not hardened criminal, but the point is that, you know, she's comes from a background where she's up to some trouble is now put in this school. It said she actually, had an aversion to magic, not that she's incapable of it, but there were things about it that 
just kind of spook her or make her feel like less of a person. Like the fact that you could kill with words. Well, that and also she wouldn't like the idea, at least as I read the character, that it's a crutch. Mm-hmm. You, you lean on this. It says I'm not capable of it without a wand. You know, I can't make it through life if I can't make a door where there wasn't one before. And so she, for various character reasons, she had a little bit of hesitation about magic. Well, I decided to take that to its nth degree and see if I could get through this whole game without using any magic whatsoever, which I did. But while I was playing this character, I noticed that this 10-year-old girl was struggling a bit to get into things. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to start drawing her out. So I start coming up with all these shenanigans that, hey, I bet we could sneak over here if you just follow me. We're going to get through the library. I mean, they've got a ward here blocking the aisle. So I'm just going to push the books off the shelves and we can crawl through here. (laughs) And at one point, she and I had worked up this plan together to rob Harry Potter's daughter. (laughs) And it didn't work out. But still, Mm -hmm. here's my advice. Find a battle buddy? Well, I think find a battle buddy is one of them. But I was going to go the other direction and say, be aware of the people at the table. If you feel confident as a gamer, whether you're the game master or the player, if you feel like you've got a handle on what's going on, pay attention to the other people at the table. It is very easy, especially in a con game, to be so focused on your own character sheet, to be trying to figure out who you are, what you're going to do, what buttons you have to push, what abilities you've got, that you don't really pay a whole lot of attention to the people that are at the table. And so pay attention to them. And if you start to notice that they're struggling a bit or opposite extreme, maybe they're going too far, be that person to step in and set an example for them or make yourself their battle buddy and show them a way through. Because I saw what she did in that first game. I said, mm-hmm. she. I knew she had it in her. She had the sass and spunk. I just had to give her an outlet. I just had to give her an excuse. I didn't have to trailblaze for her. Mm-hmm. I just had to kind of say, hey, let's go knock down some bushes. Yeah. And from that point forward, things got off the hook. And it was great. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think we annoyed Kathleen at a few points, but you know what? <laughs> Tough. That's what we bring. <laughs> right. And no, she rolled with it. She was a she was a great GM. It was a fun game, and she'd worked out a really cool system. I'm hoping I tell you, the character I played was so neat, and I, I won't get into a huge character story. I am upset it was a con game because I would love to explore this character in the context of a full campaign. Mm-hmm. Because there was so much, and I, I'm not getting into a lot of it just for sake of brevity here, but there was so much going on with that character and background stuff with her parents and whatever that I really would love to explore. And I, I really do wish that had been a full campaign. But you know what? That's a sign of a great game. It left me wanting more. Mm-hmm. I left me intrigued. Hmm. Wayne, your turn. All right. So my story, I have a couple things out of my Exiles game, which was uh, based on the Marvel comic book, Exiles, Multiverse, Think Sliders meets Quantum Leap. Where you have a team of people jumping into alternate realities to fix things. At one point near the end of the game, they're fighting the big bad. And the big bad turns on a ability that is basically a damaging field. The person playing Spider-Man, which was Azria Vep from the forums, mm-hmm. is sitting next to me. And one of the characters is a 12-year-old kid. Not the player. The character is a 12-year-old kid who at the time is grabbed around this big bad. And this field is probably going to take out the character. So Azria is sitting next to me playing Spider-Man. The version of Spider-Man doesn't matter. It's Spider-Man. And 
the moment we go to turn this on, he's he picks up like his Benny is like, can I spend this to try to pull the kid out? My reaction was, you know, there's nothing in the rules that would allow that. But you're Spider-Man. You got spider sense. You know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. This makes sense for the story. That's my advice. Rules be damned. If it makes sense for the story. What? And yeah. it's a, the rules are the rules, yeah. Wayne. If it makes sense for the story, it makes a better story. And it's just more fun. Who's been saying that for years? (laughs) All of us. Yes. Well, I believe rules do serve a purpose, but ultimately, game mastering, playing any of this, participating in a role-playing game from any angle, what you are doing is you are building a group experience. That has to be your ultimate goal, and... Rules can help with that. Rules yeah. can provide structure that enable that. Because like, remember, what's the greatest yeah. line? Role-playing. Yeah, you can be anything you want. You, you can, can do anything you want. Yeah, you yeah. can't. And even that statement right there is a rule. Yeah. Yep. So, And that's fine. Rules yeah. are fine. They provide a good structure to get you going down the story. But it's going down the story. And the story right. is the important yeah. part. Yeah. Which leads to my second one. This I saw happen in that game. But I also saw it happen in two other games throughout the con. One of my favorite things to see in games. Porn. We, <laughs> no, this is one of my favorite things to see in role-playing games. Oh, okay. Go That's on. That's video games. All right. So I had that uh, that magical question. Can I just fail? Right. Yes. Yes, you can always choose to fail in any game I run. I saw that happen two other games during the course of the con where somebody goes to roll and they stop and they're like, can I just fail? Mm-hmm. This is more interesting if I fail. I love seeing that from another player. Yeah. I love it's something I do you know, frequently and uh, especially in con games. Although I could just roll and I'd fail it. We'd be fine. But <laughs> right. I love it when a player is thinking about the bigger story and what's better for the story. Is this success going to make the story more interesting? Or is my failing going to make the story more interesting? And instead of bothering to roll it, just offer that up of, mm-hmm. hey, can I just fail? Yeah, Because this is going to be a lot more interesting if I fail. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw it three times during the course of the con. One was in, you know, in the game I was running and said, yes, I will always let a player choose to fail because that tells me they're thinking about the story and not just what's best for their character. And that leads to some really fun moments. Yeah. Chad, you got one? Uh, I do. I'm not even sure how I can talk about it. it. If this is the Western one, yeah. do you almost think there's an entire show in there? Holy crap, there is. This is one of the best games I've ever in right. my life. Then uh, you know what? We're going to put a place marker on that one. <laughs> Hold the Western one. Because I, after hearing that There's story, a dinner, lot of layers. I think this. there is probably. A I have show questions in that. for you yeah. about it, so we can. So let's come back to that one. Is there, do you have another game you can talk well, about? With, yeah, and I'll also caveat too with the Western one. People have asked me to run it again, but I don't know that you can. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I have the ability to. Well, especially after we're going to spoil it on the next episode. Yeah, so. but it would be good to put it on a separate episode so that I could say, if you are interested in playing this, if I run it, do not listen to this episode. Yeah, because it will ruin it. Yeah. Well, there's something we've talked about before, and I think we can bring it up again here. It happens at every con. Con slots have a certain amount of time set for your games. For the most part, I think most of the games fell within around a nice time frame. But I saw some games did end way too quickly. And more frequently this year, I saw a lot of games either go right up to time or go over time. So I think we can do some advice around pacing of games. Yeah, all right. Let me give you one on that because this is an issue that I've had at conventions. 
it's always a lot easier with an ongoing campaign because any excess material just means you're more prepared for next time. That's you just push it off until next week, next month, whenever it is you game. But at a con, you have a set amount of time, whatever it is the convention gives you. Our con this year, our con, mm-hmm. which I need to specify because there's a local con called our con. Uh, but our convention, Fear the Con, had four hour game slots this year. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go over that, then what you're eating into is my lunch. Well, exactly. The, the person's <laughs> yeah. opportunity to get food, to get water, to time run in the vendor hall, time in the vendor hall, their time to go to the bathroom, their time to find where their next game is or to find a game to play in in the next slot. It really is, I don't want to say it's a total dick move, but it is a little bit inconsiderate, I think, to run well over your slot time. So do watch the slot times. But on the flip side, you also don't want to go way under because if somebody signed up for your game and it's supposed to be four hours, okay, maybe you can go to the vendor hall or get something to eat or go back to your hotel room. But what if you kill this thing two hours early? And mm-hmm. speaking from experience, I've done that before. I've been and in, I feel horrible when that happens. And you should, too, because I was in a game where you did that. Yeah. And I've been in two games in Fear the Con, not not 11, I'm just in the... All of them. All yeah. of them. I've been in two games where it was essentially the game was an hour and a half long, and then that's where it ended. And I really felt like, okay, man, I showed up, I did my mm-hmm. part, why are you not doing yours? At least I live in St. Louis. I didn't buy an airline ticket in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, all right, here's here's the way I found works for me. And your mileage may vary. But here's what I found works for me. Write a start. Give the game some place to begin. Especially with a group of strangers, that is always the most awkward thing. And we could probably talk at length about writing the start of a con game. We have in some prior episodes, and maybe we'll come back to it again. But for now, I'm just going to say, figure out how the game starts, how you get everyone involved, what happens first, what the plot hook is, why they care, how they're involved, all that good stuff. Figure out a general ending or a type of ending you're shooting for. What does the ending look like? Let me use a Transformers game I ran last year as an example. The Transformers game was set up around they were playing a group of Decepticons who had been led to believe that the Autobots were working on some kind of super weapon or some kind of piece of technology. And they were led to believe it was one thing. And the start of the story was they were going to go in and stomp the Autobots. And because I'm not running a campaign and it's not canon, there are named characters there. These toys exist. They could still be killed. And so that's pretty easy to get into as a Decepticon. You go out there, you shoot your guns off, you're a bad guy, you're smashing the Autobots. I think they had some humans helping them. You have to smash up some stuff and break it down. But what the big sting was there at the end of the beginning is what the Autobots were actually trying to do was to simply get the Decepticons out of the way. So when the Decepticons get there, they turn this thing on, And they thought it was sending the Decepticons somewhere else in location. It was teleporting them. But what it accidentally did, because they didn't understand how it worked, was to send them forward in time. And because the Decepticons weren't there, basically both groups sort of atrophy, the war fizzles out, and everything goes to hell. 
and an alien race end up showing up in the interim. And this so they it's like fifty thousand years later, and this alien race shows up and takes over the Earth and wipes out almost all life. And what they find is this wasteland on the other side, this horror show that even as the bad guys, they need to get out of this alien race has conquered the galaxy. Basically. And going back to one of our favorite topics, it was long enough that Megatron had a beard. Yes. No, because robots grow beards. The longer they're left alone. So Megatron had grown a beard, Mm -hmm. but that's the start. All right. What was the end? Well, the end is of course, I need to give them something satisfying and they may just change this on me. So the end is malleable. It's, it's negotiable. But the end ultimately is I have to give them some kind of satisfying conclusion to the story. My desired ending was they need to find a path back in time. And I had already worked out various ways this could be accomplished. But they need to find a way back in time, both because they want to get home and to set this right. Because they're going to get killed here. They're not going to win. All right. So what do I do with the middle? How do I get this to be the right length? You just call it in. Yeah, exactly. Just phone it in. (laughs) No, plug and play. Lots of breaks. It's it's a plug and play middle that is defined by ideas more than narrative. All right. So I I described the beginning pretty narratively. I described it in a lot of detail. The notes I had had even more detail than that. But the stuff in the middle, it was much more short form. And it was much more plug and play. One possibility was they might encounter Megatron, who is one of the few surviving Transformers, now with a beard, (laughs) who has his fusion cannon, you know, his kill-all beam, hooked up to a generator, and is, because Energon's long gone, so he's running off this generator. And he has basically created a stalemate where he is stuck in this cave for the rest of eternity. But the alien race can't get in there to get him mm-hmm. because every time they come close to the cave, he fires that fusion can and destroys everything in front of it. And so why didn't they just give him his patch? And I mean, they have the galaxy. Why do they need that cave? Well, yeah, that's, that's what they were doing. They just let him be. Oh, okay. It wasn't worth it. Yeah. That cave was not worth it. Mm-hmm. So he was largely being left alone there, but he can't go anywhere. He's got no army. And if he steps out of that cave, he becomes a problem. They deal with him. So he's stuck there. Now, that's all I had to find for this. What does he have to say to these people? How is he going to interact with them? What is he going to contribute to the plot? If they have a plan, will he participate? Will he want to go back in time so there are two Megatrons instead of one? Will he have some weird reason to want to undercut them? Maybe he's gone completely nutso, and so he's going to sabotage them for no comprehensible reason. There's all kinds of directions I can go with this. It'd be great if you bullet point those out just as little thought flags, but I hadn't hard to find any of them. I just come up with this little idea, Megatron in a cave, isolated, stalemate, boom, mm-hmm. plug and play with that. I can put that in there or take it out. It can be important or not. If they've missed information, he can have it or not. He can do things or not, but effectively it's, it's kind of like this inflatable thing. It's like a balloon. Yeah. I can deflate it. I can inflate it. I can throw it away completely. It can take up as much space as needed. And there were other plot points like that. Uh, There was an encounter you guys had where you were digging through. You guys on your own decided to go try to find the Decepticon's original base, which was submerged. It's like in the Mariana's Trench or something ridiculous like that. It's really submerged. 
And you guys had an encounter with one of the Constructicons who was willing to help you try to rebuild a way back home and had the technical knowledge to do it. I didn't even think of that. You guys came up with it on your own on the spot. I'm like, okay, plug and play plot point. Could the Decepticon base still be there? Sure. What might be in it? Mm -hmm. Who might be in it? Yeah, we weren't expecting to find him either. We were expecting to find uh, maybe... We were expecting to find maybe Shockwave or something down there. Yeah, and so, it, but that's what I would recommend, is you create a beginning, have an idea for an end that's negotiable, but then what you do is all along the middle, you have what I'm going to call little plot balloons. You know you've got a red one and a green one and one with a happy birthday star mm-hmm. on it, but you inflate, deflate, or discard as necessary. Do not write the middle with too much definition. And I'm telling you, this is a very notes heavy GM. If you write that middle with too much definition, you have given up control of pacing. And when you've given up control of pacing, you've given up the end point of the game. So similarly this year on my exiles game, I came up with alternate realities that they could go to. I came up with the NPCs and what they were, you know, could deal with. I could have put those NPCs in any of those alternate realities depending what they did, they could have gone to more realities than they did. You had Spider-Ham. That's the only reality you needed. True. And I started (laughs) off with him because like Dan, (laughs) I pretty heavily scripted that very first scene. I wanted that scene to be strong, to set the mood of the game. Mm -hmm. So Spider-Ham, I was ready and I knew what he had to say. (laughs) Right. And I said that I had worlds. I was willing to drop worlds and I did. They only went to a couple of worlds. I had some others ready that they could have gone to. In my Lasers and Feelings game, I figured I'm going to need ideas for missions. Because you just you give them a little mission and then they run with it. Right. But I only had one in mind. And I'm like, oh, man, I just totally screwed myself. I only came up with one mission. I'm going to have to come up with a mission. Took them two f-ing hours to get off the ship and down to the planet. It was <laughs> glorious. <laughs> Glorious, I say. In my Monster Hearts game, I had two potential big bads they could deal with. They dealt with one, which was all that was necessary to save the prom. Mm -hmm. The fact that there's this military organization out there that's hunting monsters, that didn't matter because the government would file the paperwork and say those people just moved. Mm. (laughs) And so they didn't have to ever get to that. But I had that ready because I didn't know how much time these particular players were going to spend on what I consider the fun part of Monster Hearts, just the interacting, the stuff in the classroom. There wasn't a lot of that in there. There was some, but not not terribly. Mm. I mean, I've I've been in Monster Hearts games where there's more and where there's less. Yeah. But there was a lot of that interaction that I wanted to see happen. Right. So I didn't need to go into the second bad guy. It was there if I needed it. And that's kind of what I do now when I do con games is I prepare. I say prepare. It was Monster Hearts. I didn't do much preparation. I had two or three, like the equivalent of bullet items. And that's all you need for Monster Hearts because it kind of runs itself. Yeah. Mm. And you know what? That's the bit of advice that I think I want to close this one out on is do not misspend your energy. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people that when they prep for a con game, they freak themselves out. Because they're over-preparing for things that they can't predict. And in the process, I think oftentimes misspend the energy. And what I mean by misspending the energy is they get focused up on the things they can control for fear of the things they can't. One great example is characters. 
I know people spend a lot of time, especially with crunchier systems, statting out the characters, balancing out the characters. Look, yep. that's probably, if we're not talking about some kind of tournament or what, that's mm. probably not what the people came for. The example I'm going to give for this is I was in a D&D game that was being run by a guy by the name of Joe Lamy. Great guy. And he ran an outstanding game. And Aisha was in it as well. I'm forgetting who all was in it. I, I remember some people, not others. But the best way I can think to describe the plot, and I won't spoil it because I don't know if he is going to use it again. Okay, but it was set Forgotten Realms, very much the high fantasy version of Forgotten Realms as it's, as it's written. Lots of magic, lots of high-powered people. Fine, you know, totally cool mm-hmm. stuff, right? All good. And it was this really neat plot that was it struck me as kind of this mashup of Batman's The Long Halloween, some Lovecraftian stuff, and maybe a little bit of Sherlock Holmes. It was a really original sort of plot for a D&D game. This is not the generic, there's an evil wizard up in a tower with a princess, woo-ha-ha-ha, go kill him. You know, we did not kill our way up to an end. It was a fantastic game. He had this shoe cobbler in there who had been out of work for 10 years and was completely insane, and I fully believe was Richard Garriott, <laughs> who was probably one of the best NPCs I have ever seen in my gaming career. It was a fantastic game. But by my read, and I'm not going to claim to speak on the man's behalf, by my read, we spent about the first 30 minutes or so, we were around that table, and it seemed like he was in a little bit of a panic because he was having trouble getting the character stuff ready to go. Mm-hmm. It's all numbers with trappings on top. Yeah, and the trappings were not important to the game. He could have just handed me a sheet that just said, human, cleric, stay within your spells and roll high to succeed. And I would have been... Now, I realize not everyone would be satisfied with that, but what I am saying is watch where you spend your energy because the time that we spent playing that game, once we got past the hiccup with characters, it was an outstanding experience. Great GM, great writer, wonderful at the craft. Did an awesome job, and I certainly hope he comes back to Fear the Con and runs more games. That's something that I stress out about, too. Getting the character sheets ready for a game prior to the... Not Monster Hearts, because I did character creation at the table. And if the system's getting in your way, man, make it simple. Make it real simple. The interesting thing for me this year with the Exiles game was it wasn't just coming up with the alternate realities they were going to be in. Part of character creation wasn't just the mechanical aspect. I created the worlds that each of these characters were in. And that was each character on their character sheet. I found a picture of the character that best represented the version that I had created. And that was on the character sheet. But then a three-paragraph write-up on the character's history with every one of them ending with them getting ready to do something. And then the sky turned white and your world faded away. Because the whole idea is their worlds didn't exist anymore. Yeah. My initial plot hook to get all the characters involved was right on their character sheet backstory. Hmm. All right, that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Though we probably also could do, going back to Joel Amy's game, we could probably do another entire episode on just accepting your characters or your players are never quite on task. <laughs> because there was a door yeah. in that game. A door mm-hmm. in that game that I think became more interesting to <laughs> us than the main MacGuffin. <laughs> But that's because we were a little off kilter. So anyway, great convention. Big thanks to everyone that was there. If somehow we missed you in our thank yous and shout outs, I apologize. We do have finite imperfect memories. But 
did the best we could. It was a wonderful thing. And stay tuned because there will be one next year. We'll be looking at a Kickstarter either late this year, early next year. Don't know which yet, but we'll figure it out. So just stay tuned and have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.